Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. Well, we're going to start a series tonight that is going to culminate. Uh, So the first three weeks tonight, next Wednesday night, and the Wednesday after that, we'll be teaching in here. And then the final Wednesday, it will, or I'm sorry, the next three weeks, we'll continue that series in our small groups. Um, And the series is, uh, we're going to title it, Winning the War of the Mind. All right, Winning the War. How many of you know most battles spiritually or one or lost in your mind. Amen. That's, that's really where the battle is fought. And it's based upon the book, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table by Louis Giglio. So if you look at that book and you're like, man, Pat, this sounds a lot like what Pastor was teaching. I want to give credit where it's due. So you don't, uh, he didn't steal it from me. I just, okay, and I'm not stealing it because I'm giving him credit. But that is the book that we're going to be using for this series. Um, so we're going to start with, a portion of scripture that you're familiar with, I'm sure. We're going to stand together and read the 23rd Psalm. You could probably quote it. But just in case you try to be macho and not turn in your Bibles and prove you can quote it and you get hung up, we will have it on the screen for you. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Amen. Yes. I want us look at verse 5 again. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Amen. Winning the war for your mind. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Um, I think this is a timely series. If your mind has not been under attack, uh, it's probably because you were absent-minded. I promise you, there is, if you didn't know there was an attack, um, you, you weren't tuned into what's going on. I don't, I don't know that how you could avoid the attack that has been present upon our minds. Uh, but how many of you would say specifically, not just, we've all been in this last year and a half together, but in your life, there's been a, a situation specific to you where your, your mind was just under attack. You, you could look at it and you knew that your mind was under attack. When you feel like you've been done wrong. Anybody? And your mind is plotting the perfect plan for revenge. Some of you are looking at me so innocent right now. When when you're under attack and you're caught up in conflict and you know that the thoughts that are running through your mind are not right, but they sure do feel right. 
kind of glaze over look, staring off into outer space, imagining that attacker, that accuser, that naysayer. I won't try to uh, suggest what you might be thinking, because I might give away what I've been thinking if I do that. Perhaps you feel abandoned, like people that were supposed to be there for you have disappeared. They're not there for you when you needed them. You've been falsely attacked, right? And maybe that doesn't ever happen to you, but have you ever felt like you've been falsely attacked, like people are coming against you for no reason? You've been hurt. We've all been there. You feel defeated, and you're battling temptation, right? You're down and discouraged. Your mind is stressed. If you couldn't say amen to the rest of those, I think we could all say amen to that last one where your mind is stressed. And it's here under this attack that our minds begin to continuously play scenarios where we're finally vindicated, right? And the evil of your accuser and the attackers are exposed for all to see. I mean, isn't that the main agenda, right? The main objective when we're being attacked and people are lying about us and they're dragging our name through the mud, right? Keep my name out of your mouth, I think is the saying we say now. Right, and people are, you know, all that's going on, and in our mind, we know, just you wait, one of these days, people are going to find out, and I can't wait until that day. Right, you, you gravitate toward others that will hear your side of the story, that will see things from your perspective and agree with your right to be hurt and angry. I mean, when we're hurt, we don't go to people that we feel like aren't going to be sympathetic to our hurt. We find people that we feel like, hey, they'll probably agree with me. They're probably, you know, they're probably not, at least not going to tell me to pray through. They're at least going to listen to what I have to say. You don't want to get around super spiritual people when you're offended, right, because they'll tell you to pray through, and that's not what I want to hear right now. I want you to agree with me that I have a right to be hurt and I have a right to be mad. And we must understand that these thoughts, these feelings and desires for vindication and for vengeance are perpetrated by an adversary that desires one thing. Right? All of those thoughts, you know, that image in your mind where that person that's been attacking you, I won't, again, I won't read into how you think their end might come, but, you know, maybe they get what's coming to them. We'll just leave it broad. They get what's coming to them. That, that image that you're playing out in your mind, that scenario that you are constructing in your mind, that thought is being planted there by the enemy. And the enemy desires one thing, and that is he desires a seat at the table. He desires a seat at your table, more specifically. He de- what does that mean, a seat at the table? Well, this table, I mean, this is my table, you could tell. I mean, this, ta- this table was made with me in mind. It's got two rows of donuts, and in between some banana bread. That's my table. If I, when I get to heaven, if, if there is a table prepared for me, it's going to look like this table. The stuff in the back is just there for looks. The stuff in the front is my table. But to have a seat at the table, when, when, when we say that somebody has a seat at the table, it means they have a voice, right? That, that, that the enemy desires to get a seat at the table in your life. He desires to gain influence, and he wants to have a voice in the conversations that are going on in your mind. Now, yeah, true, there are people. People are... the. You know, the, 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 the individual that hurt you and the, the people that might have abandoned you. Yes, it's people that are involved in that. But we have to understand Ephesians 6 and 12 tells us and reminds us that while people are involved in it, 
that our battle is not with people, but it's against principalities and powers of darkness. So somebody might have hurt you, and somebody might have offended you, but it's the enemy that's trying to get a seat at the table. That's really where your battle is at. Because just because somebody hurt you, amen, it's not about what they do to you. It's how you react to that, that it's going to determine your future. That's going to determine whether you're victorious or you're defeated. So thoughts of discouragement and feelings of anxiety do not come from our Heavenly Father. I'll say that again. It doesn't matter what the cause is, what has happened, what circumstances are unfolding. Anxiety and discouragement do not come from our Heavenly Father. The Scripture tells us in Isaiah 26 and 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Now you can read the context. I invite you to do so. I don't see any disclaimers in there. I don't see Isaiah say, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee in perfect situation. He doesn't say that. It doesn't matter what the circumstances surrounding you are. The promise is if you'll keep your mind on him, the promise is perfect peace. Discouragement and anxiety do not come from God. Feelings of despair and desperation are not coming from the good shepherd. Amen? If you're, how many of you have felt desperation lately? Desperation, like what am I going to, that's what despair feels like. How am I going to make it through this? And, and, and despair. How many of you have felt those emotions lately? Well, guess what? Those aren't coming from the good shepherd. Psalms 42 and 5 in the English Standard Version, here's how it phrases that. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? David's asking himself an honest question. Why do I feel these emotions that I feel? And then he goes on and says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Again, what, what's David saying? I know that this despair and this desperation that I'm feeling, it's not the result of the good shepherd. There's somebody else that is trying to get a seat at the table. Thoughts of vengeance and vindication. Revenge. Those don't come from a heavenly father. No matter how good it feels to play that, loop that story in your minds of that front tire and their bike falling off. Of them putting that credit card in and that lady looking at them and saying, I'm sorry, something's wrong with the machine, I guess. Those people are always so nice. I've never had anybody look at me and say, you don't have enough funds in the account. No, I think something's wrong with our machine today. Anyway, all those thoughts you have of revenge, those don't come from the Heavenly Father. Because the Heavenly Father instructed us in Mark eleven twenty five, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father which is in heaven might forgive you also of your trespasses. So these thoughts, these meditations, these feelings... And these attitudes of depression, anxiety, worry, fear, revenge, they aren't coming from him. So then, what does that mean? It means that somebody else is trying to get a seat at our table. But I come tonight and in this series, I want to help you not to give the enemy a seat. Don't entertain his ideas. When the enemy starts to produce that, that clip that is playing in your mind of revenge and and finally, that one that's been attacking you, finally they get what's under, you need to recognize that is the enemy trying to get at your, a seat at your table 
Don't entertain those ideas. Don't dwell on his consultation and don't consider his advice. So let's turn to Psalms 23. Here in the midst of the most comforting passage. Amen. The most consoling chapter in perhaps in the entire Bible. And I would say probably one of the most popular passages. That even atheists know the 23rd Psalm. A passage that steadies us in the midst of the most tumultuous of times. In the middle of that, we find a promise. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. Often we consider any table that God has prepared for me would be absent of my enemy. If this is really a table that God prepared, then there wouldn't be any enemies. right? If this is really God, then I wouldn't have any enemies around. Amen. That if God is really at work, then our enemies would surely have been. I want you to imagine right now this table, whatever your table looks like. Mine has donuts on it. What would your table look like? I want you to imagine God has prepared for you this table. And if you're imagining this perfect scenario of every good thing God has in store for you, it's very likely that there's not going to be enemies surrounding that table. It's going to be in the middle of a meadow somewhere. right? It's going to be beside this stream that is just kind of trickling. It's going to be on a mountain somewhere with a gentle breeze blowing by. Maybe on a beach where that, that just that gentle breeze from the ocean is blowing. It's not going to be in the middle of a battlefield. But that's not what this passage tells us. This, this is the, the same one that's prepared this table for me has led me through the dark valley of the shadow of death. He didn't remove that valley. He didn't take away the shadow. He led me through that. He didn't remove the evil that was around me. But he reminded me that I don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because he's with me. He didn't take me out of the valley. He didn't remove the shadow. He just reminded me, you don't have to fear because I am here with you. And now he brings me to this table that he has prepared for me. He's prepared this table for me right in the middle of the presence of my enemy. It would seem more appropriate to me if God is giving me something that I need in the middle of my enemies. It's not going to be a candlelight dinner. It's not going to be two rows of donuts and a, divided in half by a loaf of banana bread. I mean, those are all good, but not necessarily when my enemies are there trying to kill me. I think, God, it's more appropriate if you give me an Apache helicopter in the presence of my enemies. All right, Or, or maybe an AR-15. Give me an AR-15 in the presence of my enemies. Or at the very least, sharpen my sword. Give me something to fight with. If, if I'm in the presence of my enemy and you're going to give me what I need, then give me a weapon that I can fight the enemy around. But no, that's not what he does. What does he do? He prepares for me a table. And I, the, way, the way even that this fifth verse is written, the focus is not on the enemy. The focus is on the table. The focus is on the table. He doesn't say... With my enemies all around, there's a table. He said, no, he prepares a table in the presence of my enemy. Amen. The focus is turned from the enemy to the table. The star of the show in this passage is not the enemy. The star of the show is the table that God has. I want you to know what's going on in your world right now and trying to bring you anxiety and worry. The enemy can only bring you anxiety and worry when he gets you to focus on the enemy. He loses the battle when you put your focus on the table. 
The only way he can bring anxiety and control you with worry and get you to become full of revenge and hatred is if you focus on the enemy. But if you would look in the middle of your enemies, there's a table that is there. And when you put your focus on the table, you lose sight of the enemy and you understand God's got this all taken care of. There are things on the table that are good. Amen. There are things that are on the table that are lovely, that have virtue. I would say that they're healthy, but half the table that have been prepared for me. Everybody say for me. They've been prepared with you in mind. And now I have the opportunity to pull up to the table and put my trust in the good shepherd. The same one that led me to lay down in green pastures. The, she- the same shepherd that led me beside still waters and brought restoration to my soul. Yes, there were valleys, and yes, there were treacherous paths, but the shepherd has been there with me the entire way. He was there in the valley. He was there in the storm. He was there when the path was rocky. And guess what? He is still here with me at the table, even while my enemies are surrounding me. And while the table is set in the presence of my enemy, I promise you that the enemy is desperate to get a seat at the table. The enemy desperately wants to sabotage and destroy the peace that you have provided for you at that table. The enemy doesn't want you to get there and experience peace. The enemy doesn't want you to get there and experience joy. He wants to sabotage your dinner. He wants to sabotage the offering that the Almighty has made for you. And so I get the picture from 1 Peter where it talks to us and says that the devil is like a roaring lion, amen, that is going around seeking whom he may devour. And even while this table has been prepared for me to give me peace and joy, there is an enemy that is prowling around, that roaring lion that is going around, amen, and he's seeking one thing, how can I gain influence at the table? Because even though God might have prepared this table for you, if the enemy can pull up a chair at your table, all of the joy will leave, all of the peace will leave, and instead of peace and joy, you will be filled with anxiety and hatred. So don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Tell your neighbor, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. I I don't know what you're going through right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking you and I'm encouraging you tonight, don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Amen. All of your circumstances, it may seem like everything negative is going on, but there's a table prepared for you in the middle of your enemy. Take your focus off of the enemy and get your focus on the table. Don't get overwhelmed by the enemy. Get overwhelmed by the table. Get overwhelmed by what God has prepared for you. Well, how can I keep the enemy from gaining access? Pastor, do you have to come and cast him out? Amen. Do the deacons need to come and the elders need to come and pray this prayer? No, only you have the power. Only you have the authority over who gets access at your table. Because you can show up to church and you can put on your Sunday best or your Wednesday good enough. 
All right? you, can, you can come and you can do all of that on the outside. It looks like everything is going well and it's just you and Jesus at the table. But what I can't see and nobody else can see is what's going on in your mind and the fear. And the, you can come to church and still be bound by fear. You can walk into church and still be struggling through anxiety. I can't, only you have the authority to say who's going to sit at your table. You have the authority to take back your freedom and your control over your thoughts and your emotions. And some of you right now are are disqualifying yourself from that. Well, you're not me, Pastor. Mine's, Mine's too big. You don't understand my situation. Maybe everybody else in here. No, you have the power and the authority to say, devil, there's not room for you at this table. I'm not going to live my life in fear. I'm not going to live my life in anxiety. Listen, I'm going to tell you, people that have been through more than you have told the devil, you're excused from my table. Job's wife walked up and said, is there room for me at the table, Job? Why don't you curse God and die? And Job said, excuse me, you got to get away from my table. My body may be racked with pain. I might be losing everything I've got, but I will not lose my joy and I won't lose my peace. And as sure as I'm teaching or whatever I'm doing, I'm supposed to be teaching, I'm probably preaching right now, there are some of you that the devil has convinced you he belongs at your table. Even as I'm trying to speak words of victory to you, you're battling in your mind and saying, no, I need the devil at my table. I've gotten so accustomed to fear being at my table, I don't know how to live without it. I've got so accustomed to anxiety and worry in my world, I wouldn't know what to do if he got up and left. You don't have to be trapped by fear. Well, pastor, we're in a pandemic. I don't care. There are no conditions to this thing. It works. Amen. If there's a table prepared for you in the middle of your enemy, I don't care what your enemy looks like. You still don't have to be bound by fear, even in a pandemic. You don't have to be bound by rage. Well, you don't know what they did to me. I don't care. You'll put your focus on the table and not on the enemy. You don't have to wrestle with harmful thoughts. You're invited to a table with the shepherd, with the almighty God. The table that he has prepared for you is one of peace, clarity, and abundance. There's a lot of food there. How many of you would say that's abundant? That's one person, all right? If you're wondering, am I sharing tonight? No, this is for me. I'm kidding. At the end, we'll, we'll, it's all been handled Properly, it's all good, and nobody's fingerprints are on it. And we'll pass it out in the foyer later. But just imagine with me right now, this is my table. Right? You've got your table that God's prepared for you, and there's more than enough at that table. There is no lack in the kingdom of God. There's no scarcity. God doesn't know scarcity. He doesn't know lack. There's more than what you need at that table. This isn't spiritual theory tonight. This is real. How many of you tonight, if your spouse doesn't do one thing, it could be small. They don't take out the trash. Right? And the next thing you know, you hear the wooden, the sound of those wooden chair legs pulling across as the devil pulls up a chair at the table. They didn't take out the trash, but then the enemy gets involved. And pretty soon it spiraled into them not loving you. 
They don't appreciate you. They didn't take out the trash, but before it's done, it's a divorce law. You're calling him, hey, I'm this guy, man. He's probably having an affair. I mean, he obviously doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He didn't take out the trash. All right? And it goes the other way, too, I'm sure. All right? One small thing, and then the enemy sees, I got, I, I, there's an invitation for me to pull up to the table. And instead of telling him, get away from my table, we sit there and we listen as he begins to plant thoughts in our minds. We listen as one thing goes and the enemy pulls up a chair and before you know it, it's the end of the world and we're never going to make it through this and we're all going to die and and there's the end of the story. Why? Because we allowed the enemy to pull up a chair at the table. But you don't, let me remind you, you don't have to give an enemy at the seat of your table. When your spouse doesn't take out the trash and the enemy pulls up a seat and begins to accuse your spouse to you and says they don't even love you, what you need to do is kick that chair over and rebuke the devil and tell him to get out of your life. Stop letting the enemy have free access to your table. Stop letting the enemy take small things in your world and embellish them into the end of your world. Yes, the enemy wants to destroy you. He wants to crush and kill everything good in your life. He wants your days filled with anxiety and your nights to be riddled with worry. That's what the devil wants. He wants, that, he wants you to think that peace is some abstract fantasy that preachers preach about on Sundays but doesn't really exist. He wants you to think about joy as something that only The select super spiritual few in the church can really enjoy, but really you have no access to. He wants you to think of these gifts as archaic fossils of the Spirit. That maybe one time they were available for the church, but they're not a vibrant fruit of the Spirit. But the table that has been prepared for you by the Good Shepherd is a table for two. The devil was not invited. Several years ago, I was invited to preach a youth service down in Florida. The church was mostly a Jamaican congregation, not that matters the detail, but except that the service was extra lively. I mean, I was doing some moves I didn't know I could do. Their response to the worship, in the worship and to the word was amazing. And afterward, I went out to dinner with uh, the pastor's son and I think he was the assistant pastor and his wife, and they were kind, smiled, upbeat, full of life and energy. And we got into conversation, and I mean, just the most kind, outgoing, pleasant people in love with each other. I was like, I was on the borderline of like, y'all need to get a room kind of thing. They're just all over hugging each other and holding hands and all kinds of public displays of affection. They were married, so it was okay. And everything was great. And then we get into conversation. They ask me, you know, about my family. And, yeah, I'm married. I've got four daughters. And, you know, and they're, oh, that's so, I show them pictures. Oh, they're so beautiful. They're awesome. What a great family. And then we turn the tables. What about you? And they've got one son that is there with them. And they said, yeah, we used to have a daughter. But and what happened next in the conversation shocked me. They began to share in the story, and I actually just called the, the, the man uh, before service and talked to make sure my details were still right because it's been years ago. But he told me the story that his daughter that had been born on Christmas Day, he was at work, his wife was in the other room when the, she smelled smoke. 
And she went running toward the room where her baby girl was sleeping. The room was filled with smoke. Flames were shooting out of the room. She tried to press her way into the room, but her small son started to follow her into the room, so she pushed back out. Long story short, the neighbor came over, tried to run in there to rescue the baby, wasn't able to. Their child died in that room. The wife would spend 21 days in jail as they investigated her to be, to be the culprit, which obviously they later cleared her of. And they were depressed. They were discouraged. They were, obviously, as, as we would expect, their lives were shattered. They said every year after that, for years, Christmas was terrible. They hated Christmas. That's the day that their daughter had been born. They didn't celebrate it. And then one, one year they decided that we can't go on like this. And so they set up a foundation called Gifts from Jade, which was the name of their baby girl. And they began to take in donations and they would now every Christmas they go to the hospital and they give. And he said that they found this is the only way that they can heal is if they give. And they began to give. And in, in doing so, when they excused the enemy from their table, their lives were filled with joy. He said the first year they went to the hospital and they gave to others was the first Christmas that his wife had smiled since their baby had died in that fire. And I looked at this couple as they shared their story and I remember thinking, would I be able to have the joy that they have if I went what they went through? If I, if I lost a child in a fire in my home, before they told me the story, I never would have guessed it. They, they were as happy as anybody you'll ever see in church. Their worship was as vibrant as anybody else you will ever see. They weren't sitting on a back row with their arms folded, mad and angry at God. They were full of joy. Can I tell you, the only way that they were able to do that is they said, you don't, there's no room for you at my table. I'm not going to allow you. I'm not going to allow you to get me filled with bitterness. Listen, some of you, again, the enemy has convinced you that he belongs at your table because what you have been through is so wicked and so evil. But I'm telling you, if that couple could dismiss the enemy from their table, you can do it too. If a mom who just a few feet away from her baby who died of smoke inhalation, if she could get over and move beyond that and say, devil, there's not room for you. I'm going to live in joy. I'm going to live in peace. I'm going to live in righteousness. If she could do it, you can do it too. Somebody, you got to get something in your spirit tonight that says, devil, there's not room for you at the table. There's not room. I'm tired of not having joy. I'm tired of not having peace. I'm tired of not being able to live by faith. And until you have the ability to say that, it's not just saying a sentence. It's in your words. It's in your actions. Telling the devil there's no room for you at the table. Most of us will never go through what that couple went through. I pray to God none of you ever go through anything close to that. But the fact is we have all experienced that life isn't always easy. And if we're going to keep the enemy from gaining a seat at the table, we must begin by wrapping our minds around a difficult truth. And here's the difficult truth. Life is hard. But Jesus invites us to follow him anyway. Right, if, you're going to, if you're going to keep the enemy away from this, having a seat at your table, 
If you're going to enjoy fellowship with Jesus Christ at this table that has been prepared, that's the basic truth you've got to get a hold of. It doesn't rhyme. It's not cute, but you need to write it down anyhow. It's not going to make it on Instagram, more than likely. But here it is. Life is hard. But Jesus invites us to follow him anyhow. Throughout the scripture, we find people in circumstances where life had been unkind and unfair. And I don't know, but to me, it would have seemed logical for Joseph to ditch his dream. Honestly, I, w- I would have, it would have seemed like, yeah, that's, that's probably what he should have done. If, if in the prison, he'd have said, you know what, I'm done. I give up on the dream. Now, we, we applaud him, and rightfully so. But it wouldn't have blown my mind if Joseph would have said, I'm done, I'm out of here. For Job to forget about his faith after all that he went through in one day, I wouldn't have been surprised if Job listened to his wife. Probably wouldn't, the story wouldn't have made it in the Bible probably, but I wouldn't have been shocked. It, it would not have surprised me if David would have, or Daniel rather would have closed his windows and prayed a little quieter. Honestly, I wouldn't have been shocked because it's honestly probably what I might have, would have done. Don't shake your head at me because you probably would have as well. I felt your judgment all the way up here. We wouldn't be surprised if these people turned away from God in, their, in the midst of their difficulty or they leaned toward their preferred addiction in the attempt to escape their pain. Why is it, though, that we would not be surprised? Because that's what most do. And if we were honest, it's likely it's what most of us have done. We've done it a time or two where we got so frustrated with God, we got so frustrated with our circumstances, we got so frustrated, yeah, we might have kept on coming to church, but in reality, we turned our hearts away from God. In reality, we begin to turn toward addictions. We begin to turn toward the vices of this world to try to numb the pain of what was going on. Because when life turns hard for us, that is when we are tempted to welcome the enemy to the table. When life gets difficult and we don't have the answers, that's when we say, hey, go ahead, pull up a, you know, it's when our spouse doesn't take out, doesn't when they bring us trash, or they bring us flowers, yeah, when they bring us trash. That would be a good reason to be offended. That's worse than not taking out the trash. Like, hey, honey, I brought you something. Um, anyway, that, that was not the illustration I was going for. Right? It's not when they bring us roses and a card. That's not when the enemy whispers in your ear, they don't love you. No, it's when life is hard that the enemy begins to whisper when the enemy says, is there room at the table? It's when life is hard that the enemy comes in and says, see, serving God doesn't really do anything for you anyhow. Amen. See, see, doing all the things you've done for God isn't really working out in your favor anyhow. Why should you continue serving God? Amen. Because it's when life gets hard that the enemy tries to pull up to the table. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego exhibit courage as they stand while the music plays and everybody else bows. And what is their reward for their righteous action? They get sense to being thrown in the furnace. It would have made sense to me if they would have been offended. If they, it, 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 I really wouldn't have faulted them if they would have just kind of bowed and maybe didn't touch their knee all the way to the ground. Right? Just, just like, just a little bow, just enough to get the soldiers not to stare at me. But maybe I could say, God, you know, I didn't really bow all the way. 
I, I wouldn't have faulted them for that. And how are they rewarded for their righteousness? By being sentenced to being tossed in a fiery furnace. Uh, amen. And, and, but, but, but instead, uh, amen, they, 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 didn't, they didn't give up. Uh, amen. What, what did they do? As they're standing on the brink of a fiery furnace, their faith did not deflate. Rather, their faith inflated. Uh, amen. When the difficult time came, their faith didn't die. Their faith got bigger than it ever been before. They stood on the threshold of a fiery furnace, and they said, you know what? I know God can deliver us. I don't know whether he will, but whether he does or he doesn't, we will not worship any other God. That's what in the book, Louis Giglio, and what I would determine is even though faith, even though, no matter what I go through, even though, whether God does deliver me th from this or not, whether the enemies around my table disappear or whether they double in number, it doesn't matter. Amen. I'm not giving you a seat at the table, enemy. I'm not inviting. I'm not going to let you whisper in my ear. I'm not going to let you be an accuser. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. I'm going to read from the new, I'm sorry, the good news translation. Here's what Habakkuk says, even though, everybody say even though, the fig trees have no fruit and no grapes grow on the vines. Next verse, even though, everybody say even though, the olive crop fails and the fields produce no grain. One more, even though, everybody say even though, even though the sheep all die and the cattle stalls are empty. Three times Habakkuk says even though. Even though there's no figs on the, on, the, on the trees, even though the olive crop fails, even though the sheep all die, in verse 18 he says, even though three times in verse 17, but in verse 18 he says, even though I will still be joyful and glad because the Lord, even though it doesn't matter what your even though is, you've got to get an I will. Even though my family walks away, I will trust him. Listen, we could all praise God when we lived in a nation where everybody exalted Christianity. But even though I live in a nation where Christianity isn't as popular as it once was, I will still worship him. Even though the doctor gave me a negative report, I will trust him. Even though there's trouble in my marriage, I will bless the Lord, even though I will. For that family that I had the privilege of sitting at that table with, and i got to be honest, I felt like a, a, a spiritual ant, a, a, a fly, a, a, I don't know, what's the smallest animal there is, a knit, gnat, I don't know, gnat, I think a gnat. I don't know what a knit is, but a gnat, compared to these people. I might have been invited to preach, and people knew who I was because I was on the docket, but those people's faith made my faith seem so small that they could still worship God the way they did after a tragedy like that. Why? Because they had it, even though I will. Even though tragedy took our daughter, we will worship the Lord. And living hope, even though we live in an hour of uncertainty, we cannot 
deter our worship. I will still worship the Lord. So I, I would ask you, how would you personalize Habakkuk's prayer? What is your even though? What is it you're going through right now? What's happening in your world that you could personalize Habakkuk 3? For Habakkuk, it was, it was a drought that was going on. It was that there's no fruit in the trees and the olive harvest has been ruined and the sheep are all dead. I mean, that's big problems. That, that means dinner is scarce. But his verse 18 is, I will. What, what is your verse 17? What is it you're going through right now that the enemy's trying to pull up a seat at the table and accuse God to you? What is it that is going on in your life right now that the enemy has pulled up a seat at the table and is whispering in your ear trying to get you full of anxiety and worry and hatred and vengeance and revenge and, and bitterness and all of those things? What is your even though? But you can't stop at verse 17. You've got to get a verse 18, I will, in your spirit. I will. I know it's Wednesday night. I'm not asking you to run the aisles, but I'm asking you to raise your hands and say, I will. Amen, I will. Amen, I will. I will, no matter what it is in your world. Amen, your verse 17 might be darker than mine. Amen, but you got to get an I will in your spirit. You might be in the middle of the greatest trial you've ever gone through, but the only way you're going to make it is you got to get an I will in your spirit. If America never returns to God, I will serve him. Come on, if America never returns to God in the way that I've known my life, amen, even if they never do, I will still serve him. I'm going to conclude with just a few last points. Here's the fact we all have a shepherd. Psalms 23 is about the shepherd. Amen, we all have a shepherd. Now there are those, you know, the type A's among us that internally they don't think they have a shepherd. Like, now nah, ain't nobody telling me what to do. I got this. I don't need nobody. I, all this God stuff, I don't need nobody telling me what to do. I'll do my own thing. The fact is everybody has a shepherd. Amen, you, Jesus may not be your shepherd, but you've got one. For some people, it's their job as their shepherd. For some people, it's, Riches and wealth. Some people, it's addictions that tell them where to go and what to do and when to do it. And even for those that say, ain't nobody telling me what to do. Well, you're your shepherd, but you still have one. Sorry, you can't weasel out from this one. And here's the 23rd Psalm of those self-shepherds. I am my own shepherd, and I'm a mess. I don't have everything I need, that's for sure. I, will know, I wouldn't know still waters if it was staring me right in the face. I haven't taken rest in a green pasture for quite some time. I don't walk along paths of righteousness, but I sure do know what fear and evil are. I seek comfort wherever I can find it. I cannot stand my enemies. I want to hurt them all. Felt like I touched something there. My cup definitely overflows. I'm full of angst, consumed by sorrow and rage. I'm so full, I easily spill over. I'm packed so tight, it doesn't take much for me to explode. I don't know who's following me all the days of my life, but I can tell you one thing. My soul is not doing so great. But when we allow Jesus to be our shepherd, 
He steps into our stressed out culture and he becomes our replenishing guide. He leads you, he watches you, and he, wa- he gives you rest. Jesus gives us purpose. He shows you how to deal with your enemies so they don't destroy you inside out. But in order for him to be our shepherd, if, if you identify right now with that 23rd Psalm of the self-shepherd, there's a good chance that Jesus isn't really your shepherd. You might, you might go to a Christian church. You might call yourself a Christian. But if your enemies are tearing you apart from the inside out, if you're filled with rage and envy and bitterness and malice and revenge, Jesus isn't really your shepherd. Because in order for him to be our shepherd, we have to be willing to do one thing. Anybody know what that is? Follow, thank you. Maddie, you get a gold star. We have to follow. And my sheep know my voice. They come. When I call them, they follow. Everybody say follow. Sheep are not known for their high IQ. I, I remember as a child, Brother Robert, you probably remember, my dad, it seemed like once a year, he would teach a series on how dumb sheep were. Seriously, I remember it multiple times. He taught a lesson on how dumb sheep were. And then he would always fit in there. Did you all know that you're sheep? He would never say you're dumb. He would just say. And I was a kid, but I was smart enough. He just called us dumb. Y'all remember that series? He taught it several times. He would talk. Anyway, I'm really not exaggerating. And there's a reason why, why shepherds have that crook at the end of their staff. Because they're always pulling sheep out of trouble. Sheep don't really do well at learning lessons. Once the sheep gets a little bit of wondering in their spirit, it's hard to get. That's why as a pastor, I'm telling people, you need to get back to church. You need to be faithful to the house of God because when a sheep gets a wondering in their spirit, it's hard to get it out of their spirit. Sheep don't learn lessons well. I've got a dog that I think is half sheep. I'm going to pick on Huntley for a minute. Huntley has, anyway, Huntley's a a dog. I'll just leave it there, but... It doesn't matter how many times Huntley gets in the trash and gets in trouble for getting in the trash. If, if there's a trash bag laying out, he might have just gotten in trouble the day before, an hour before, a minute before. But Huntley is going to get in that trash. And, and that is the way of a sheep. I don't have any pet sheep. That's the closest I got. Sheep don't learn. They might end up in peril one day, and have to be rescued, and then they're right back at it the next day. And I remember as a part of that lesson my dad would teach that the only way a shepherd can break a sheep of its wandering is he literally breaks the leg of that lamb. That sounds so mean, so cruel. But it's the only way he's going to keep that sheep from killing itself. And then he'll put that sheep around. You've seen the pictures of the good shepherd with that lamb, and everybody's like, oh, it's so cute. No, it's because he just broke that lamb's leg. Got that lamb because he's teaching that lamb. He's reteaching that lamb. You need to stay close to me. He's reteaching that lamb. You can't wander off or you're going to end up getting hurt. And so he's teaching that lamb. You got to stay close to me. Sheep are not good at discerning still water from swift water. And if you consider, if you were wearing like seven wool sweaters stacked on top of each other and you jumped in a swimming pool, I would venture to say your outcome is not going to be real good. Because wool absorbs water. 
and, and, and a sheep is more than five sweaters. They're just, they're all wool. And a sheep doesn't know still water from swift water. So a, a sheep doesn't care whether it's a little stream in the backyard or Niagara Falls. If they see water, they just jump. All right, they just bound over to it. Stick their head down in there. All right, and if you're at a gentle stream, if you're beside still waters, you can... I think my impression of the lamb was too good, y'all. Are... <laughs> if it's still waters and that lamb sticks his whole head down in there and that, that, that wool coat gets down the white, it's okay. He's going to be okay. But if that lamb gets down by a Niagara Falls or swift moving water and he dips his head down in there, it's going to pull him in there and he's going to be destroyed. We need a shepherd. Amen. You need a shepherd. You may think you don't need God, but I promise you, you might think you're making the right decision. You might think what you're engaging in is refreshing, but I'm telling you, it might be the very thing that destroys you because you need a good shepherd. The good shepherd knows you don't need to be by those waters. You need to be over here by the still waters. Now, here's what I've learned about me. This may not be true about you, but it is about me. I can make a bad decision on a good day. I don't need bad circumstances to make a bad decision. I can make a really bad decision in the, in the best of circumstances. I can make a bad decision when I'm on the mountaintop of life. When everything's going good for me, I can mess it all up. Valerie, don't say anything right now. <laughs> she knows. Let alone when the shadows of death are upon me, when I'm surrounded by the enemy, when I'm dealing with hurt and disappointment. Listen, if you can make a bad decision on a good day, then you just wait until you're surrounded by the enemy. When you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and it feels like God has abandoned you, it gets really easy to make a bad decision when you're going through a bad storm. And that's why you got to stay close to the shepherd because, Lord, I'm walking in a place where there's not good visibility. I can't see what's going on around me, but I trust you because I know that you are with me. He's prepared a table before me in the presence of my, right in the middle of the battle. And on that table, everything is everything that is good. Really, tonight, you couldn't have done a better job with the table. Those donuts have been calling my name. Here in a minute, I'm going to go get one. And my table is going to be different than your table. In the spiritual reality, my table is going to look different than yours. But everything you need, I would say that there's health. It's healthy, but I've already, it's not. Mine is not. My God is a God of balance in my life. Right? We got bananas and banana bread. I mean, that's balance. That's as balanced as you can get. But it's, it's a bounty. It's more than enough. And God has prepared a table for you. And everything that you need is on that table. All the peace that you need. It's, it's not that your enemies need to disappear for you to get peace. It's not for you to move into a different circumstance for you to get peace. It's that you need to get your focus off of the enemy around it. And you need to focus back on the good shepherd and the table that he has prepared. Everything you need to make it through what you're going through right now is at the table. 
Listen, I'm finishing up tonight, but some of you think the answer is for your circumstances to change. That's not what you need. Everything you need is at the table. God has prepared everything you need, and it's at the table. There are two chairs you could stand with me at this table. Two chairs at the table. That's it. There's two chairs. The inv- this table that has been prepared. I mean, when I walked in, I knew this was my table. I knew. I, I just. Maddie, I think, put it together. Brother Josh went out and got. Brother Josh, you knew what you were doing when you got this table. And those, you know those are stuff I like. And, and, and when you would walk into the room, if it was your table, Brother Moses, what would be on your table? Donuts, all right. So, but this one's mine, okay? I just want to make that clear. Brother Roberts, what would be on your table? Boston cream, right? Maybe, maybe Sister Roberts would have banana cream pie thrown on there for me. So, Angelina, what would be on your table? Watch off guard. Whatever it was, when you walked up, you would know that's my table. It's everything that I need for what I'm going through. God prepared that table with me in mind. That's my table. When you walk up to it, it's an, you know it's an invitation for you to come and sit down at that table. Everything we need to come and sit in the presence of God and all the joy that we need, all the peace that we need, God is inviting us to pull up to the table. But here's what we do. On a Sunday morning, God, thank you for that. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for that meal. I know you're not supposed to eat in church. David ate showbread. David ate showbread, so that's mine. We grab a bite, and then we run back to our busy lives. Come here. Give me that. I'm spitting food all over the place. It's up here somewhere. There, I see it. We come, and we get a little bite. On Sunday, we get a little bite, and then we run back to the enemy. We run back to our crazy lives, and we miss the point. It's not just about getting something off the table. It's being in fellowship with the good shepherd. The peace doesn't come from what you eat off the table. The peace comes. I shouldn't have done that. The peace comes. The peace comes by, and and you shouldn't say the P that much after you just ate. The joy comes by who I'm at the table with. I can either grab and run or I can pull up a seat. All right, Lord. I know that my enemies are all around me. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you.